Hi, I'm Meta. Welcome to Hansa Conversations, a podcast. The Hansa philosophy is based on a therapeutic idea that is relational and adaptable. Through this podcast, we want to create a deeper conversation to build positivity and awareness around movement practices and life in general. So welcome and listen in. Hello everybody, welcome back to Hansa Conversations. Uh, back with me, Metsa from Hansa Indonesia and Vincent Baleta, founder director of Hansa. Vincent is still in Beijing today. How are you, Vincent? I'm good, thank you. I'm doing well. <laughs> Weather is good. Filming is good. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Everything is um, going well. The filming is just uh, consistent and constant, and um, yeah, just an avalanche of it that needs to be done. But it's cool. good. Lots of things to do. Oh. Yeah. All right, let's have another conversation. Uh, we'll let's talk about flow today. So sure. I'm just gonna start with asking you to just share a little bit about Hansa flow because it's a major part of Hansa. So maybe tell us what is Hansa flow and why did you decide to create Hansa flow? Oh, okay. So Hansa flow is based upon this idea that our movements. Uh, linked to developmental patterns. Uh, everything that we do in life has a relationship to the initial beginnings of how we started to move, how we learned to move, how we develop our reflexes, our point of balance, and locomotion. And so I wanted Hansa Flow to reflect in these big early beginnings in, in our evolution, physical evolution, in ways that uh, was a little bit more stylized and and obviously um, there's a creative component to it as well but in essence it all sits within a rehabilitative uh, relationship because these developmental movements uh, determine functionality also longevity and in essence is it's what determines the way that we experience our body in space okay so um, when we connect back with our development pattern, then our, uh, we returns or we improve some of the functionality and how we can uh, maintain longevity in the body. Is that right? Yeah, that's right. Look, Hansa Flow is about ease of movement and finding uh, pathways that are well coordinated or strategized in ways that create better coordinated actions. Uh, Hansa Flow is also about establishing a relationship to a body that has an attitude of ease too. And so when when we reclaim our developmental relationships, uh, movement tends to improve. Uh, we uh, flow more uh, flow in space <laughs> more easily. <clears throat> Things generally don't seem to be so conflicting. So. As, as a theme or a goal, I thought, yeah, developmental patterns as, as a relationship to a, a class that has elements of choreographic components to it. So it's not just about the physical body, but it's also trying to establish some uh, relationship to, to the way that we, we learn and, and remember and, and heighten our cognitive states was all based upon or is based upon um, or it links to the Hunter flow that I teach. So how are these developmental patterns um, 
put into the sequencing of Hansa flow? How is Hansa flow sequencing different from other yoga flows out there? Uh, uh, well, that's that's a, a good question in terms of what is the difference. And the difference to me is that when when I teach Hansa flow, I talk about spirals. I talk about rotational relationships. Uh, I three dimensional. Uh, appreciation of, of space and our body in space and so our, our movement does take us sometimes off the mat it, it gets us to change directions uh, it asks us to transition that in ways that has more uh, rotation to it rather than sometimes how we practice yoga it's relatively linear in the way that we generally move in life uh, mm. there's more compound compounding uh, actions, I would say, as well. When I say compounding, this, it's multifaceted in the way that we move. Rather than thinking of just individual levers, there is uh, a complexity to the movement that I try and express in the flow practices, which, again, links back to the way that, that we organize, organize ourselves in everyday life. You know, um, we, we're on this continuum of movement that varies in, in its intensity and I want the Hansa flow practices to, to reflect that and so I was slightly um, for the lack of a better term just disenchanted by the vinyasa practices or flow practices uh, that I used to do and I thought mm -hmm. well there's much more to this than than you know and there's much more to to yoga than this, and if yoga is a reflection of life in a microscopic way, then we need to practice in a way that does truly reflect the way that we organize ourselves outside of the mat and how we live our life. So I wanted more out of my flow practice, and this is where I think Hunter Flow uh, established itself um, as a separate entity, but still very much linked to the, the Hansa therapy system that I also teach because uh, to me movement is healing and mm -hmm. how you move really determines the, the quality of that healing uh, and moving and moving keeps you uh, you know keeps just physiologically your body alive uh, the circulatory system requires things to move so things don't become stagnant so you know, I wanted movement, uh, the Hansa flow movement, to reflect the therapeutic relationships that that I talk about, but also that movement talks about. Mm -hmm. So you, with Hansa flow, you're bringing people to connect back with their um, spiral in the body and the rotations in the body, and which is um, which is uh, which is close to how we naturally move. Can you talk a little bit about um, spirals and rotations. What is that sure. exactly? Yeah, that, what is that exactly? Uh, well, you know, most of our movement processes, there's two two types of rotational relationship. One's translation rotation, and one's the central axis rotation. And mm -hmm. so, and we it sit in both paradigms. And one, you know, when we rotate, sometimes we move off our center, and we have to move off our center, especially if if we're trying to, um, you know, move from one spatial region to another, and so we have to move our center. And then one is where we we rotate on a center and we maintain our position in space. 
Mm-hmm. And so we always kind of are backwards and forwards with these, and, and I and I quite like that. And the other thing that rotation speaks about is cross-linking patterns. And so when we rotate in one direction, our body, you know, naturally will at the same time rotate in the opposite. So it sort of counteracts the primary rotation that we're working with or the spiral that we're working with. So it maintains a certain equilibrium to that center that I mentioned. Uh, and at the same time, you know, um, we're looking at cross-linking patterns between left and right side. Uh, rotations are multi-dimensional, multi-faceted. And so as you're rotating to reach up, there's also an oppositional rotation down as well. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and so, and when we talk about rotation, we talk about the shape of our soft tissue, you know, our soft tissue sits within sort of kind of spirals, if you like, the, the muscular systems attached to a bony structure that's also in itself not straight. There's, you know, bumps and grooves and turns and twists to it to indicate that our movement is not linear, mm. but our movement is uh, rotational or is uh, more around the spiral nature of life. And so, uh, the rotational relationships, I think, are essential to longevity as well. So as we start to lose functionality, we start to lose rotational qualities in our joints, in our spine, and in general movement. So you're putting all this into the Hansa flow, the development patterns, the rotation, the spiral, the different directions. Do you see, um, what difference do you see in your students who've been practicing Hansa flow for a while? What changes do you see after practicing this for a while? Well, one observation, uh, it, it, you know, there's a couple of stories that need to come across first, and, mm. and you know, which we have spoken about before. One is self-practice, and I think that's really important. And the other is taking responsibility for the experience that we're having. And then when these components come together like ingredients, you know, something unique happens to the individual when they start moving. There's, there's a general tendency for people to be more present to what they're doing. So the movement slows down. It's quite interesting. And it's an observable vibrational tone that harmonizes at a very kind of low pace or resonance. And so something unique about the, the, as you view these, the clients moving happens and, and there's, there's a greater, and it's just purely subjective, but there's a greater appreciation from a visual perspective of the, the person moving. Yeah. They're more appreciating their body in space. They are more discerning about the way that they're moving or they're more interested in the way that they're moving. And so mm. things become more graceful. Uh, things become much more intricate and intimate. There is a such a personalized experience that I feel is happening. And and there's a you know it just it's just this one thing that just stands out, and that it just becomes more pleasing. You know, that there is just this smile that appears, internal smile. And and the, some of the comments that I get back is that they really start to enjoy their bodies. They start to really enjoy their movement. Mm. And so my, my question to you is, because you'll be practicing the Hansa flow, how does it make you feel? 
this is from my personal observation of my practice and obviously my students, but I would like to know from your experience and telling you know the the listeners your experience of it. Well, I after practicing at Zephalo, I think even from the very beginning, the first class I took over yours, I just suddenly feel like I have another whole world to to observe and 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 get to know, which is my whole experience, my body and how my body moves and all that. That is something that I didn't feel before. I mean, like I, I felt that to a certain degree, but I feel that the um, with Hansa flow practice, as you said, I was brought into the state of presence where I am more quiet and therefore I notice a lot more in terms of the way I move. Um, how I lift my arm, how I lift my legs, and and from there I learned so much about my own body that I kept wanting more. Like I, I really started self practicing when I started doing Hansa flow. Before that, I wasn't interested in self practice because I never felt something engaging enough to practice by myself. But with Hansa, I felt that suddenly I'm very much engaged in what's happening, and therefore I just kept wanting more. That's yeah, it's a that's quite a com- yeah it's quite a common experience <clears throat> I feel as well and uh, mm-hmm. so yeah thank you for sharing. <laughs> <laughs> You're welcome. Happy to share. Um, so yes, I I really find Hansa Flow to be such a beautiful practice, and I feel that it's never ending. And I I like how um, it becomes. I feel that the goal of Hansa Flow is really self practice in the end. It's, it's your journey. Like you can guide us through your sequence, but once we know the sequence, then the rest of that experience, that journey is ourselves. And I think that is quite beautiful and that's quite important because we rarely give the time for ourselves to understand our own bodies and our own movement. So I think that's very precious. Mm, very, very cool. So coming back to the word flow itself, how do you describe flow? What is flow to you? Uh, what is flow to me? Uh, flow is a state of mind. Mm. Uh, flow is nothing really um, that physically tangible, even though we use our body to create uh, environments, internal environments, for us to move into a um, state of mental flow. But flow for me is an attitude. Flow for me is a, a way of, of being as well now these days and uh, so <clears throat> flow is about your ability to maintain a level of attention yeah. um, stable attention on the object that you're viewing or engaging with yeah. and and the hands of flow practices is even though there is movement involved, the essence of it is deeply contemplative. Mm-hmm. Because what we're inquiring on is more about our ability to maintain levels of stable attention and also expand that attention or expand the field of our attention. So we take in more of what we are doing as we practice. So we, we harness and and basically um, develop or cultivate, I think, our mental capacity to be more sensitive, intimate, 
and uh, engaging of, of the actual moment that we are deciding to, to be present to. So, so how, we do that on... How do you build that? How, what, what are some of the recipes to build that uh, in your Hansa flow to get to that right. state of mental flow? So there is a couple of uh, principles to, you know, anchor our attention. And I, and I use certain philosophical principles uh, to do that. And I also use certain uh, practical tools to establish that too within, within the practice. The practice is layered. So there's a number of stages to it. I have what I would call uh, the seed practice, which is at the beginning, which establishes that level of uh, quietness and intimacy and just trying to arrive more deeply into the body or at least you know go a few layers in in more then we have once we've established that then we have the development stage where there is a number of sections to it that we have to uh, engage and and these these reflect more as i was mentioned before the developmental movement practices and, and there's a number of uh, aspects of how to engage our body in space and how to navigate that space and, and also the choreographic, choreographic relationship that's uh, been established. And then finally, there is the finishing of the practice that again brings us back to a deeper, I suppose, appreciation of what has been done, but also to cement the, the, the experience. And I think these, these things are essential and so I try and use a mixture of physical and mental protocols that one is meditative in its nature. Then at the same time, there is a physicality to it that engages the reality of our experiences as well. Mm-hmm. Now, I think this is, this is important and, and it's important that the practice has that level of contemplative um, um, subtlety and if it mm. doesn't I think we always sit within superficial bounds and our flows that we try and then manufacture us are in themselves um, manufactured in, in, in a superficial way in ways that don't necessarily take us deeper into the inquiry that the practice of yoga does suggest us to go to go further in questioning some of our uh, our belief systems and or our attitudes around what we believe in. So the, 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 you will find when you come to a Hunter Flow class that we, we start with certain specific themes. Now, the themes are not grand. Not, you know, there is some theming that goes on in yoga that seems to be overly grand and unrealistic. These themes are more deeply personal and sit within a humble, humble realm which are easier to connect, accessible. And then it's about knowledge really of one's body. And so there's anatomical relationships and there's anatomical movement patterns that we want to really engage with because this is really reflective of our bodies generally in a common way. So there's, I know I'm probably going on now, but there is a lot of stuff that enables you to go deeper and deeper and deeper because the states of flow mm. are, uh, beyond the physical, you know, uh, and, and it sits within almost this uh, level of stillness. Uh, or somebody has mentioned it, you know, uh, as, as movement 
and meditation combined. And that's what I like to think Hunter Flow is. Mm. I'm just curious, actually, how long can a person maintain a state of flow? Is, I don't know, there might not be one answer, but... Oh, depending, on the, yeah. depending on the interest, I suppose, because mm. uh, there is, you know, flow is a, uh, is, is, can be measured. There's a qualitative um, process. And there have been, you know, people being measured to be in states of flow, mental flow, uh, for up to, you know, two to three days. Uh, wow. Uh, so Really? Yeah, it depends on the level of interest. It depends on the level of intensity. There's a number of um, really specific ingredients that, that can define the environment of flow or can, can be the catalyst to flow. And one is that, and the activity that you're doing has to be just slightly beyond your ability to do it. So that maintains a level of interest and inquiry. Mm. And that's really important. Now, if the level is too much in terms that, you know, it's beyond you to do it and, and you have to really struggle and create conflict and, and use excessive effort, and then states of flow will not happen. But it just mm. has to be just enough for you not to be able to achieve it for you to be, or to be able to achieve what is required, for your mind to be really, really interested and in pursuing what you're doing. That's a really important ingredient. Now, and apparently when you reach certain states of flow, deep flow, you lose all sense of time, you lose all sense of self, and more importantly, you lose all sense of connectivity to your body. Hmm. Okay. So yeah, that's really interesting. Just, when I say wow, when I say lo lose lose all sense of connectivity to your body, you don't feel hungry, you don't want to go to the bathroom. There is a deep absorption in the mental status. Wow, well, yeah, it's just something I cannot comprehend. I mean, for a, a few hours, yes, I can imagine that, but three days—that's that's an achievement. Yeah, there, there is um, yeah. The, the, the people that seemingly get into the states of flow more easily are your gamers. <laughs> <laughs> yes. They can spend days losing themselves, <clears throat> you know, in, in, in this virtual reality. That obviously the virtual reality is close enough to reality that it, that it makes the senses really, really interested in what's happening and can't differentiate between the two. Uh, yes. <laughs> right. So, so coming back to um, normal people like me who doesn't have not achieved three days of state of flow <laughs> in your practice, in the Hansa flow practice, you mentioned that you use simple themes, simpler themes, not too grand. Can you share some of an example of your themes and why simple rather than grand? What's dif what difference does it make? <clears throat> because it's something that you can feel as an experience in your body. Uh, mm -hmm. A simple theme would be something like uh, breathing in and breathing out. And, and, and relaying that to expanding and condensing forces. Mm. And then expanding that further and further into <clears throat> bigger, larger examples. Mm -hmm. um, and then using the, the physical practice of cat-cow as a way of establishing an understanding of what it is to expand and what it is to condense. Mm -hmm. 
and then <clears throat> you know and and th these are you know uh tangible physical experiences that we can have it doesn't it's not that esoteric that we have to take a we have to take a, a jump a, a faith a leap of faith to believe in something we don't have to believe it because it's there hmm. it's already there in our bodies waiting for us to experience it hmm. now if you're starting to talk about things that uh, are not readily available to most people's reality. And then it becomes a source of faith around it. Yeah. And so, and what I also like to say at this point is that what you can experience physically is not a subjective realm that I'm talking about. You can feel your hand, you can feel your arm. It's there. What you think about your hand or your arm is very subjective, but you can feel your arm and feel your hand. So when you, we anchor ourselves to these very um, practical uh, and intangible life realities that are, uh, are quantifiable to some level, yeah, then, then that anchors our attention. There is a reality to our breath. What you feel about your breath is totally different, but there's a reality to your breath. And once we anchor ourselves to that, and start to ex ex and start to delve into the behavior of that breath, and start to notice what does that breath mean to me, mm -hmm. in terms of my movement, in terms of how it actually keeps me alive yeah. and enables me to it's, be who I well, am. It's interesting, and it's uh, almost a complete opposite of the approach that is taken in a lot of yoga classes. And not saying a lot of yoga classes are not right. I may enjoy those classes too, but a lot of yoga classes tend to take a more grander approach, things like you said, that it might require more faith rather than connecting to the reality, the objective reality that you're experiencing. And in those classes, one can actually come to a state of flow that is very different than the state of flow that you've been talking about. Um, the state of flow in a lot of these classes are, are created based on a full experience created by the teacher, like almost a, a really guided process. And... It's just, yeah, I'm just observing and, and very interested in, in the, the complete different direction that you're taking in your approach. Yeah, I, I, see, I, I understand that, you know, it's easy to manipulate uh, the experience for people and create environments that can create emotional charge. Mm. And that emotional charge then can... Um, if you like, influence our, our uh, reality. Mm -hmm. But it comes from an external source. It comes from it comes from a manufactured environment that's superficial, that's, that's outside of you. Right. It, does, it doesn't come from a, a, a deep inquiry that comes from you. And the investigation is not the rhythms of, of the external uh, reality. It's the investigation is the, the rhythms of your internal reality. Because let, let's put it this way, your attitude has a flow to it. Now, until you understand what that means and, and how that impacts on possibilities of creating conflict and, and segmentation. Because look, at the end of the day, when you're practicing flow practices, you're not looking to flow. You're looking at what hinders your flow. Yeah. And when you start to find what hinders your flow, then you're getting closer to the ability to flow. Mm. 
Yeah. And so there's a, there's, there is a tendency to delude ourselves in many ways of what we think we're doing. Mm-hmm. And so for me, the yoga practice, when it becomes deeply contemplative and has movement associated to it, it's an expression that our attitudes impact on our physicality. Mm-hmm. And that's from a real tangible reality. And what you're actually yeah. investigating in the state of flow or in the state of these practices as I said, is what obstacles are hindering you from to flow from one moment to the other. And one that you just mentioned before was the ability to maintain mental stability. Yeah, absolutely. And there's reasons for that. And until you start to make that inquiry, you don't know what those reasons are. Yeah. It's interesting, though. Yes, you're right. After a while, then we start noticing what hinders our flow. But for me personally, based on my experience, I didn't get to that point until I understand first what exactly is the state of this internal flow. And once I pass that, then I start noticing what hinders my flow, which then once I address them, then I return back to the state of flow. But one, I feel that people don't come to, to understanding what hinders their flow until they understand what is flow first. Does that make sense? Is this a chicken and egg problem? <laughs> <laughs> it it kind of is a chicken and egg problem. But, you know, I, I've, I've decided that um, the observation for me is that we have to strip it back to some of the things that we are motivated to do because those motivations are actually what are driving our uh, reality or experience of our reality, especially our physicality. And so most people come to flow practices to either possibly find a new meaning and purpose to their life or uh, or alleviate some of the restrictions and wanting to sense uh, freedom yeah mm. but freedom is a double-edged sword you know you can't have freedom without first inquiring what is restricting your freedom so the investigation actually turns on its head mm. it has to you know i can't grow you know um i know certain i don't know flowers or what have you and all that kind of stuff if I don't first clear out the weeds and cultivate the ground and bring nutrients to the environment that I want to grow my awareness on Mm -hmm. so first I have to I have to establish a I have to establish a foundation that's going to support my practice and you won't know what that foundation is until you start to Mm self-practice In your analogy, though, <laughs> I'm just taking it back to what I said. I wouldn't want to cultivate the ground unless I already see that flower is beautiful. Unless I already understood the beauty of the flower, then I wouldn't even begin to start the process. Right, right. To to have that beautiful flower, I have to cultivate the ground and do my reading and then do my culling and all that. Right. <laughs> what do you think? The, the, the flower is you. <laughs> you know what yes. I mean? So, yeah. so the, the, you are the, the flower. You are what you're trying to grow and cultivate. I mean, is there anything to grow? No, not necessarily. What you're trying to achieve is possibly enhance your potentiality or exp- the experience of yourself in all its glory. Mm. All right. 
Yes. Yes, agree. Thank you. Uh, you're welcome. <laughs> right. So, continuing the conversation. Um, so, coming back to Hansa Flow. So, it is a practice that, uh, like you just said, ultimately we are cultivating ourselves. We're growing ourselves to the best of potentiality. So, it is really a practice for everybody. Um, but it is not. Sometimes it can be confusing to people. The choreography, the sequencing can be confusing to people. Like yesterday, we just had a class and some of the comments that, that it, it was difficult sometimes to follow. Um, can you talk about that? This, this elements of, of complexity in your sequence and your intention with that? Yes. So, so the, the flow practice is, is like a mandala. It, it has layers to it, from simple to complex. And you teach it in, in, in stages, or you teach it in, it has those layers. Simple, and then you add on, and then you add on. And obviously everybody learns differently. Um, and on a, on a visual level, some people are much more heightened. Some people like to, to listen more. Some people are more kinesthetic. You know, so there's different ways of, of kind of learning something. So the practice is trying to also, or in terms of the presentation of, of the teaching of the flow, is trying to cater for all those different levels of learning. Mm -hmm. uh, the, the complexity, I think, is a good thing. And uh, somehow, uh, in, in this whole equation of being an adult, we have lost the ability to, to, to want to be beginners again, or make mistakes, or feel confused. Somehow or another, we have lost the, that that level of ourselves that we are here as as an exploration, as much as uh, developing knowledge and understanding, and and making mistakes and not knowing and being confused is, is a critical part of learning, and we've forgotten that. I don't know why, but as children, we know that very very well, and maybe that's part of the phase of growing. But that needs to be still maintained as an attitude as we practice this flow. And mm -hmm. everything takes time. Um, and the more you uh, become familiar with something, the more you, you will remember what it is that you're doing. And, and, uh, and you'll feel more and more successful. Um, so the element of not knowing, of course, it creates certain levels of uncertainty maybe an agitative aspect to it. Uh, that's, that's not a bad thing in my mind. Uh, it means you, you've been engaged on a level that's slightly beyond uh, your capability, and that's okay too. So mm -hmm. I quite like, I quite like um, and it's not a physical challenge. So I like the listeners to understand. It's not that what I'm asking you to do physically is difficult. It's just the cognitive aspect of it is being challenged. Your memory is being challenged. Your 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 understanding of what it is to piece movements together and how to transition in ways that uh, is logical to to that movement is being challenged. And and when we move, we move in spirals. So it's, it's going to challenge your equilibrium and your position in space. It's a, and these are good things because these challenges maintain a certain degree of, of um, regenerative processes that are deep within your neurological system. <laughs> <laughs> right. yeah. uh, 
And so, and 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 the key is, you know, um, if I didn't quite, if, if I go and, you know, I don't know, choose a modality that I've never done before, I'm not going to instantly pick it up straight away. Uh, why would I have that? Why would I have that expectation that I need to know it right now? Oh, well, a lot of people have that expectation. Yeah, you know, I pick up the guitar. I mean, I'm not going to play, you know, uh, you know, a full, a full song, uh, all in its complexity straight away. I'm going to just, you know, learn what the guitar is. And when you start practicing Hansa Flow, you're going to start to learn what is the body, what is your body. And how does your body move and how does it, how is it impacted on, on the way that you interpret your body? And so you're going to learn about certain things first. And I think this is good. I think it's really good. And so I, I, like, I like that idea that it has that element of challenge. And because in challenges, we grow. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I like that too. I mean, not always easy, honestly, with the challenge. And the challenge, a lot of times, like you said, is not a physical challenge, but like mental attitudinal challenge. And I feel that practicing Hansa or learning about myself is also, in a way, a very humbling experience um, because knowing something new about ourselves sometimes can be a very difficult thing but it's also a very good thing because it gives us chance to grow I think Absolutely. that's one of the beauty of the Hansa flow practice to me now it is I just go back to saying that it is layered and so uh, there's simplicity to it at the same time uh, the simplicity in itself can be quite complex and I think that's the challenge for most people. Mm, not necessarily. Yeah, it's not necessary that, you know, because anybody can remember a sequence if you just give yourself a chance to remember. But mm. what comes with that sequence, the, the themes and the approach and, and uh, the way that you need to engage it, that in itself is the difficulty. Um, the movement itself, to be simple, is, is not easy. You know, I think I think in essence we we uh, we can complicate things in our minds. Mm-hmm. We can, and yeah. so it is paradoxical, as you said. Yeah. Well, I, I I really I mean you know I love this practice and I really encourage if you're listening to this and you've never tried it before I really encourage you to try it. We have online videos and we even have live classes. So yes, this is my plug-in <laughs> to just try it. This is your plug-in. <laughs> Beautiful. Thank you, Meta. Yes. Um, um, yes and, uh, would you like to do your plug-in too, or is there anything you would like to share more about flow? No, no, I, I did have a thought, but it's just slipped my mind right now. So, um, but yeah, I, it's a practice that is for everybody. Uh, on the surface. It, it, it can seem a little bit daunting, but, you know, when, when you are engaging the practice, when, you, when you're in a taught, when you're taught in a way that, as I mentioned, that's simple to complex, it starts to make sense. Um, and it doesn't necessarily have to follow the choreography that I, I create. It, it can, you know, if, as I said at the earlier part of this podcast, you know, flow is a state of mind. And so, you know, it can be anything. It can be any movement. But the the key here is connecting to that movement. And what I like 
particularly about Hansa Flow, is that it prioritizes that uh, that uh, asset of, of practice, the connection. Uh, I think to me this is essential and connection on multiple levels um, because we experience life on multiple levels and so we experience ourselves on multiple levels and I mean how can you not get excited when you are moving and watching yourself move I mean this is your body that enables you to experience the life that you're having how can you not get excited about that and get really interested about that you know, I mean, this is this defines your reality. This thing that you carry around 24/7. How can you not want to be engaging this thing? So that's what I'm, you know, my, my plug in is, I suppose. Uh, yeah, yeah, and do buy the videos. <laughs> Thank you. Yes, yes. Well, it's a practice that definitely requires investment. I feel that. I mean, talking about flow. It's the same with meditation. It requires some kind of, you have to be invested in the process and in yourself and wanting to do the work. I think that it's quite similar to, because um, only then, then, you know, you, you reach that state, I think. Yeah, I agree. I agree. Um, well, thank you, Vincent, for sharing about Hansa Flow. That was beautiful. And we... Thank you also, everybody who's listening. Um, yes, like we both said, try it. Maybe by the videos. Um, but thank you for listening, really, from wherever you are. Um, and hopefully you'll come back in the next episode. Thanks, Vincent. Thank you, Meta. You've been listening to Hansa Conversations, a podcast. Please follow Hansa Yoga on Instagram and Facebook. Learn more about Hansa at hansa.yoga on the web where you can also purchase online practice videos to practice at home. Don't forget to sign up to our mailing list to get updates on our latest news. So join us on the next Hansa Conversation, and thank you for listening.